No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. That was Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give the People Their Right to Vote. Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots talk show, which will attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia, America's last colony. I'm joined by my co-host, Marilia Duffels, and together, we hope our show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important to you and affect the lives of all of us. So feel free to call in at 888-627-6008 or Skype us your questions and we'll be happy to answer them. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And uh, we're having a few communications problems this morning, this afternoon, rather, trying to get in touch with uh, my co-host. But uh, until she arrives, let me uh, carry the ball. Uh, It's been a strange week in America. Uh, Of course, we had Thanksgiving, and that was great. And everything's loosening up. Uh, Families are are spending time with each other and... um, uh, I know that I spent time with my friends that I hadn't seen in a while, and uh, I know that uh, several people were getting together, several families were getting together that hadn't gotten together in a very long time. So there's a lot to be thankful for uh, this year. And and let me start off the – oh, hi, Marilly is with us now. Great. Hi there. Hi there. So I'm just talking, we're just starting the show, and I'm talking about, it's going to start talking about things I'm thankful for, and I know you're thankful for many things as well, so uh, let, let, let me start, and then uh, uh, we'll turn the, turn the mic over to you. But first and foremost, I think we can say this, especially now that, that, that people are starting to uh, get together in the pandemic, uh, that that we're all thankful for family and friends. Uh, I know that I'm thankful for my family that supported me um, throughout my whole life. Uh, I'm support. I'm happy. You know, I'm thankful for my friends. And I, I got to be honest with you. I'm thankful to be 68 years old. I've known, <laughs> a lot, you know, I mean, I know a lot of good people that haven't made it this far. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I'm just happy to be here. And uh, I'm happy for the show. We've got this great show. Look, we've 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 had just incredible guests. Uh, you know, people like uh, Dan Rather, uh, Michael Steele, members of Congress, senators, congressmen, governors. We've had we've had an astronaut who 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 uh, was captain of the space shuttle, and we've had three presidential candidates, including Ralph Nader, uh, on the show, and local guys like Joe Madison and Rock Newman, and international people. Um, so I'm thankful for the show as well, and I'm thankful for my co-host Marilia. So now it's your <laughs> turn. What are you thankful for? Well, I am mutually thankful. For you and for having invited me to be your co-host on this show, and I hope I can can uh, perform half as well as you do. Oh, my, come on! No, seriously. But um, I am thankful for so many things, and I have to say, at the top of the list, is I'm thankful for having a wonderful husband, and I am thankful for having wonderful friends like you. But I'm also thankful for the fact that I live a life that is not the harsh and arduous life that the majority of the people on this planet live. I'm very, very lucky, and um, I only wish that 
that would change. I know it won't, but I am very thankful for that. And, and I have a lot of um, compassion and pity for those who don't. And that is the, that those people number in, you know, I imagine the billions. So. Well, let me thanks. just let me just add to that. Uh, you're thankful for your husband. Your husband's so cool. He's got such a cool, right? He does such cool things. He's always jetting off somewhere or doing something really cool. So, uh, yeah, so it's cool. It must be cool to be married to a James Bond kind of guy. But, <laughs> and he's but, British. <laughs> and he's British. So there yeah. you go. It's all He's got it all going on. Uh, but also let me say that, and I think we would both agree on this. I won't speak for you, but, but for me, I, I'm glad with all his bumps and bruises to be in America. And to be an American, you know, that that I my background is uh, I gave up on my life when I was a teenager. I dropped out of high school. I got into trouble. Uh, but but then I, I got a thing called the GED. I went to put myself. I had nobody to support me, put myself through community college and graduates and, and, and college and graduate school, got a master's degree started my own business, you know, became successful at it, got elected. I really truly believe that this is the only country in the world that that could have happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I believe if I was anywhere else in the world, my my life would have, you know, my, my, my ascension would have stopped when I was a teenager and I made the mistake of dropping out of high school. But, uh, you know, I was given a second chance and I think we got a lot of second chances in America. So with oh, yes. all its bumps and bruises, you know, um, I love this country. And I think most people do, regardless of what side you're on uh, these days and, the, you know, kind of political divide in America. Uh, I believe that most people do love America. I can't imagine why they wouldn't. There's just so much here being an immigrant myself having come into the opportunities that I did come into. I wasn't, uh, I didn't immigrate myself. I came as a child with my parents, but, and my two brothers, but, um, but yes, many opportunities to be had and, and things aren't as wonderful as they used to, as you know, at least when, back when we immigrated, America has changed, sadly. Um, I only hope that it, it gets back on the, on the track that, that we, used to be on when we came when we saw it and it was you know the pride of um of us as immigrants um to have come here but you're absolutely right why how can you not well that's something you know that now that you bring it up maria that i was always very sad on to see sad about to see um our country go from where the Statue of Liberty was, you know, give us your tired, your poor, your mm. your huddled masses yearning to be free, where that was kind of our national symbol, to go from that to a wall. You know, I thought, yeah. oh, you know, how, how how hard is that? And and you know, and and this week we've just seen some incredible things go on in the country, have we not? I mean yes. this this Kyle Rittenhouse thing mm. in in um, um, Wisconsin, uh, I don't understand it. I got to be honest with you. I don't understand how you can show up with an illegal gun at a rally and murder two people and and wound another and yeah. and and not have anything happen. He didn't even get charged with an illegal gun charge. He didn't get any charges at all. Right. And and the worst part is that. After visiting the former president of the United States, who who, who referred to him as a very nice young man, uh, uh, now we have members of Congress, three members of Congress, fighting over trying to give him an internship. Yeah, uh, it's unbelievable. It, it's unbelievable, and and you know, I wonder what it says about us. Not number one, if you look at this kid. He was a he was a a a, a, a high, also a high school dropout, a Trump supporter. He was ironically a lifeguard. That was his yes. job. 
and uh, he, he bought a janitor as well, um, and and a cook um, somewhere, short order cook somewhere, while he was trying to to get his high school degree. But yeah, he came from a uh, not a good family. And, and, and yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, no, no, I interrupted you. Please, Mike, go ahead. But but he he you know he ends up at this at this this rally. And then, and he shoots these people. You know, what does it say for America? What happens the next time we go out and protest for statehood or something? Some guy shows up, somebody in the crowd says something horrible to him or mean, and he turns around and shoots him. The guy he murdered threw a, threw a plastic bag at him. And, yeah, and that exactly. was, that's how he retaliated. And the well, thing that got me most is that my son, Nicholas, is mm-hmm. a, the assistant manager of an Ace Hardware store, and that's where the guy bought his semi-automatic yes. rifle. Got somebody to buy it at an Ace Hardware store. Yes, exactly, and that that is just shocking. And that person is his sister's boyfriend, and yeah. he is charged. He is facing the charge, um, whatever it's called, for having bought, you know, per- provided the weapon that was involved in a crime and a murder. And yet, like you said, this guy's getting nothing. I think, you know, it's the same old in in society, in politics and anything on earth involving humans. You have to look at the psychology and the sociology behind it. Yeah. And people don't. It's just it is just a real anomaly of humanity that we don't do that. Um, and this is the classic. This kid was down and out, does not come from a good family. Um, father was an alcoholic, um, is somebody who's desperately looking for attention, um, you know, w- was not on the right track. And people like Donald Trump capitalize on these people. It is just the classic trait of a sociopath in Trump who's manipulative, calloused, deceitful. And he looks, he, he, he displays this false empathy. And this speaks to, and it seduces this, this so-called charm of theirs. It seduces and controls these vulnerable people who are desperately looking for somebody to believe in and somebody to rescue them. And they do desperate acts. And these are people like Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, and it, it's typical of these Trump supporters. You know, they're typically working two or three jobs and they basically feel socially disenfranchised, disenfranchised. And until somebody like Trump comes on the scene, they feel hopeless about their future and they will follow. And it is the classic psychosocial pattern that you see. And people like Trump take take advantage of it. And now the Republican Party is taking advantage of it and they're using this kit. And for what purpose? I mean, that is the main reason I left the Republican Party. It is not the Republican Party. I knew they're doing this and it's all cult and it's all about using these silly what I call these silly mascots like Kyle Rittenhouse has become a mascot. And, and and a magnet for, for, to attract more Kyle Rittenhouses to vote for them in, in whatever election, you know, midterms now coming up. But it is it is a sad commentary on this country that it has deteriorated to this base level and nobody is calling these people on it. And if these congressmen, if these Republican congressmen are doing this without knowing um that's pathetic because they're old enough and there is a lot of information out there that is being thrown at them, I think, um, to tell them that this is really dysfunctional. And and if they do know it, double shame on them. It's disgusting. Well, you know, and it's the, you're right. It's the oldest trick in politics to play mm-hmm. on this kind of to play on this kind of feeling of disenfranchised uh, you know, a disassociation uh, with society and with government. Of course, mm-hmm. you know we're the we're the poster children for disenfranchisement here in the District of Columbia. But um, you know what I mm-hmm. wonder about all this is what this says 
about America, the, the way we're headed. First of all, let me say that your comment about the Republican Party, what I sense in the Republican Party that wasn't, that is missing, that was there when I started with politics is mm-hmm. honor. There were so mm-hmm. many honorable Republicans mm-hmm. that I disagreed with, you know, men like mm-hmm. Bob Dole. Uh, I was just going to say Bob Dole. Yeah, Goldwater. I mean, Goldwater's a little before my time, but, but you know, Lowell Weicker. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on. People mm-hmm. that I didn't necessarily agree with, but people who, who, who had some particular political position that they always stuck to, they were always, and they were honorable. They didn't, you know, they would, a guy like Rittenhouse, I, I don't believe 30 years ago would have been embraced by the Dem- by the Republican Party. Oh, but, my gosh, no. But let no. me tell you, let me ask you, what does this say about the direction we're headed? Uh, for example, there's this new law that you probably know about in Texas, uh, an abortion law, mm-hmm. where they've actually, if you drive your neighbor to the doctors mm-hmm. to get an abortion, you not only can be held criminally liable, but I get a reward if I turn you in. Right. I mean, they it, make, it, it's they're making fascist. vigilantes out of us, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. It, it, it is very fascist. It's something that, you know, back in the days of, of Hitler and, and you name right. it, right. people were rewarded for doing things like right. that. And what does right. it what does it do? Right. Absolutely. And it just continues to divide us. And, and you know, I t- and then we turn to the Ahmad Aubrey case where the same defense, basically. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I think the same defense was used. Basically, Kyle Rittenhouse, they said it was self-defense in, in, in the Aubrey case. They said it was self-defense. But the prosecuting attorney, uh, you know, pointed out, made the point, and it stuck, that you cannot claim self-defense if you start to fight. If you go out there, right, searching, Mm -hmm. if if I come after you with a gun and you turn around and slap me, I can't shoot you and claim that it's self-defense. And, and, uh, you know, I don't know why that worked in georgia but it didn't didn't you know ring true in in wisconsin and thank god it did you know thank god there was justice for for what it's worth in in that case and and thank god there was justice amongst a prosecution and against a defense rather that was really really sleazy i mean that lawyer stood up there the one lawyer for 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 uh, those three guys stood up there and talked mm-hmm. about his dirty toenails. And, you know, right. He mm-hmm. was, a, he was a dirty black man running through a nice white neighborhood. It's of so- course he got shot, you, you know, like, like that was some sort of right. crazy justification. Right. And so they pulled out all the race cars. They, mm-hmm. they, they were horrible in, in, in their defense in that sense. And, and luckily the jury system worked. People saw through that. And have you ever been on a jury? Oh no, I haven't. I haven't had the the privilege. I hope nobody no. in the DC government's listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you see that notice coming in the middle, and you're like, no, no. And, and then, and it's strange because you go. You know, I was there. I've been like, they call me whatever the time interval is, two years or whatever. They call me like clockwork. And and I've been several times, and I've only been chosen. I've only been chosen twice, and 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 the first time was crazy. It was the day before Christmas, and I get chosen chosen for a trial in Montgomery. I was in Montgomery County in those days. Okay, and it's a malpractice trial, right? Interesting. So they bring the defendant in, and he's a doctor. And the woman next sitting next to me in the jury box put a death grip on my arm and yells out. I mean, I don't even think she realized. She blurted out. She goes, oh, my God, that's my pediatrician. And 
Yeah. And the judge goes, uh, excuse me, madam, I think you can be excused from the jury, you know. <laughs> and then he turns around when she says that. And she waves to him. She's like, hi, doctor, so-and-so. <laughs> you know, and she gets up and she leaves. And and the woman next to me leans over and says, what do you want to bet she's on her way to Dr. So-and-so's office to get her children's records and go look for a new pediatrician? You know, and I said, yeah. So, you know. But the second trial I was in on, I really, I didn't get chosen for that jury. And the second trial that I was on where I was chosen, I was just surprised how dedicated everybody was. That uh, always amazes to me, too. Yeah, they were just, they took everything so seriously. And there was a gun charge. And we got, we, you know, there were jurors that were requested the gun and we handed the gun back and forth and we checked the gun and, and we, you know, we did everything we could. And then the most amazing thing is that the judge says to us in the instructions before we go in, he says, you're not to decide whether the kid was charged right or not, or what, you know, the circumstances that your only job is to decide whether he's guilty of what he's been charged with or he's not guilty. And we go in, we all decide he's absolutely positively guilty of what he's charged with. And then we let him off because we thought he wasn't charged correctly. That's what amazes me that they can actually hold to the, uh, to the judge's instructions. I mean, that is a real, it's a real dissonance between what your emotions are telling you or what your brain is telling right. you really. And, and what the law is telling you, it's that real divide, which isn't a real divide. They, they do work because it does reflect, reflect the brain that the brain is always working in conjunction with the emotion, which is deeply embedded um, within our, our, our cerebrum. And it talks to our frontal lobe and, and gives certain messages that are not articulated. They are just um, that's where your gut comes in. That's why they call it the gut. It's it doesn't have language, right. but it does, you know, quote unquote, speak to the frontal lobe, the frontal lobe being the executor and where it makes the logical, the reason um, behind our, our decisions. Um, so it's hard for me knowing that hard for me to understand and I applauded that these people can disentangle the two that is a very difficult thing to do yeah it was and and, you know I think they were right and and I went along with it because they had three kids uh three young people two of them were gangbangers with long criminal records and Mm -hmm. one of them was one of them was a kid that worked sweeping floors at night to pay to put himself through school and it just so happened that he was in a car with these two people and somebody handed him a gun that he shoved under the seat and his were the only fire fingerprints on it it was obvious that it wasn't his gun it was obvious that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time but they didn't have anything on the other two the other mm-hmm. two even though they had these long criminal records uh their fingerprints were not on the gun so that's all they have is the fingerprints on the gun. It was obvious that he handled it, uh, but they said, no, th- th- he's been charged wrong. And, and I applauded that, too. I said, you know, thank goodness that they were, you know, able to use their own judgment and their own own, own best instincts. And that's what the, that's what the uh, whole jury process is supposed to be about. So in my case, it worked really well. Let me ask you a scientific question. I read this. Now, maybe you can answer this for me. I read this in the paper today or yesterday that there are more people not returning to work than ever in the history of America Mm -hmm. with the lowest unemployment in 50 years. So let me ask you something. Is this something new that you know, that's uh, from the pandemic, do you think? Or is it just a matter of physics? You know, simple physics, right? A body at rest tends to stay at rest, and a body in motion, right, tends to stay in motion. So is that it? Yeah. Have we lost our national economic inertia? Do you think we, you know, are we just, are we just, 
Like, that's it. It's like, ah, nah, who needs to eat and pay the rent? I don't want to get out of bed. You know? Yeah, I think it's actually a reflection of basic behavioral economics, which is the first time that science has been injected into the dismal science called economics. (laughs) Basically, what it's saying is that people do what's in their best interest. And, you know, they quickly um, see that what's in their best interest is not going back to the job that didn't pay them, you know, perhaps minimum wage or a good wage right. and didn't have benefits. Um, and perhaps they also weren't treated well and they go and find another job. So those industries that I guess were, I shouldn't point fingers, but for lack of a better word, were guilty of that are the ones that are suffering. And those are typically, I imagine, the service industries. But, yeah, it's basic behavioral economics. Yeah. Well, would you and I have gone back to Muldoon and Murphy? That's a big <laughs> That's a big question. I'm thinking. I'm thinking probably not. I'm thinking we 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 probably would have been panhandlers or something. But would have been but, more profitable. Yeah, but uh, so and I know you know I got to I got to I, I got to tell you there's a different mentality out there. When I talk to my kids who are looking to say that for, you know there's a lot of things they don't want to do. You know yeah. and. And with me, I just took whatever job paid me more. You and me both. It's a generational thing. I think you and I were from a generation where um, we weren't spoiled. We had to to fight for everything. And kids today are different. They're they're a bit spoiled, in my view. Oh, my God. A lot handed out to them. And when you have that. You don't have to work. And if anything bothers you at work, that's it. I'm done. I'm gone. Yeah. Well, I feel exactly the same way. You know, I've got, for example, I've got my uh, 23-year-old daughter uh, calling me saying that she's coming home for Christmas. And then she says to me, Daddy, the airfare is really, really expensive. (laughs) So, you know, I can't resist, right? I say, Take the take the bus. How, <laughs> how how long can it take to take the bus from Denver? You know what? A couple of days. Take the bus. Absolute silence on the other end of the phone. Like I just like I just said. Oh, by the way, I killed your mother. You know, it's right, right. absolute silence. And and, and so uh, you know, then of course, mommy gets on the phone and she kicks in money for 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 the plane fare, and I probably kick in some too. But but yeah, they expect you know. Oh it, yeah, it's, expectation. It, you and I would have never even thought of asking. Uh, would have walked. Yeah, exactly. Hitchhike. You know, and, 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 you know, and I did whatever, pay me more money. I mean, I started out making a dollar 35 an hour. So if you came along and offered me a dollar 65 an hour and you told me I had to be a hitman for the mafia, I would have thought, of, I would have thought about it. And then I would have gone, yeah, but it's a dollar 65 an hour. What the hell? No, right. It's not, it's not the best job, but I'll just keep it until a dollar 85 an hour job comes along. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's how we went. It's so much different. It's no, it so is. We immigrated, and when I was nine years old, I was delivering the Evening Star yeah. paper back then with my, with my younger brother, while my older brother delivered the Washington Post because he was older and he, you know, he could get up earlier in the morning, and we would come home from school, and we delivered the Star. And I was a skinny little thing with this, you know, bag full of huge amounts of paper, and delivering that and we never thought for one minute this hurts or I'm suffering or I can't do this. We just did it. Plus we had to collect the money from the yeah. people who, by the way, were not good at paying. And you know, it meant a lot of time cut into our homework hour. We had to not hour, homework evening, whatever, however long we'd spend. But we never thought of it. And my my first real job, because that wasn't that was a job, but it you know it wasn't a, a W two form job, was working for a nursing home at the age of sixteen. It horrified my grandmother, and I was earning the minimum wage, which was back then was a dollar ninety five an hour, and I was bathing older people. I was cleaning up poo. I was doing everything feeding cleaning changing beds i mean no matter what there was i 
did it. And I never, it grossed me out when I first started, but I never questioned it. I never thought I'm going to quit ever. Yeah. yeah, me too. I mean, I didn't have jobs like that. I delivered news, but you know what I was? And I wonder about this. I was a fuller brush man at 14. Do you, you remember fuller yeah. brush? They would come door to door and, you know, and I was great at it because I was 14. I had a a tie that hung down to my knees. I was knocking on the, you know, I was like you. I was a skinny little kid. I was carrying this big sample case and I would knock on your door and I'd get some housewife, you know, there were a lot of women that stayed home in those days who probably had kids around my age and felt sorry for me. And would buy refrigerator, you know, who doesn't need a refrigerator deodorizer or a toilet brush? You know, it was real easy for them to buy it. And and but they had to fire me because there was a na- there was a policy. They were a national company. And because of their insurance and stuff, you had to be 16. And when they found out I was 14, it broke the guy's heart. He's like, I did everything to try Aww. I can't, you know, and, and we'll be here waiting for you in two years. Well, two years later, I had a better job. But, oh, I'm sure, yeah. But, but you know. cents an hour more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was digging ditches. I was digging ditches. And you know what I got out of that? I was a high school, I was a high school dropout. And I was digging ditches. And I was looking around at other construction laborers, some of whom were 30 or 35 or 40 years old. And I started thinking to myself, you know, I bet when these guys were 16 or 17 years old, they didn't think they'd be doing this when they were 40. Yep. And and, uh, then getting back into school and getting an education, that appealed to me. You know, Same here. as I was sudden, cleaning the bedpans, the thoughts yeah. did occur to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. And 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 so that was the positive uh, that came came out of it. And then, I, yeah, and then I think and, these kids miss that today, you know, right? They miss all these little lessons that come from that. Sorry to interrupt you, Mike. Go ahead. Well, no, that's okay. And then through a series of, of, uh, of horrible mistakes in my life. I ended up at Muldoon and Murphy with you and Pam, <laughs> but you know, then another benefit. I made two we great friends. We learned a lot there. Right. We learned a lot. And, 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 and I learned a lot, uh, all along the way, uh, at, at all sorts of different jobs and Fuller Brush might've taught me more than anything because it yeah. taught me how to deal with people, you know, you, you, you had to, you had, it taught me how to uh, deal with rejection when people slam the door in your face. And, and by the way, I delivered papers for a while too. And it's absolutely amazing to me how many people were in the rears to the newspaper boys, you know, yes, all the people in the world. That much. Yeah. Of all the people in the world, you're going to step. It's the poor kid. Yeah, that brings your newspaper. It's crazy. So, but it really was. We learned so much on those jobs, and and oh. it made us, uh, I think, the kind of people we are today. And that's that's one right. thing. You know, I've known you for a long time, Marilia, and you're a very substantial person. And I think that uh, I think that having great character. Uh, mm-hmm. In, in 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 part comes from experience comes yes. from experience i comes think from that, suffering yeah and from knowing you know it's it from from knowing what the seeing what a little bit of what the world's like so understanding the advantages you have and yes. feeling empathy like you said at the beginning for people that don't have those advantages and i think that's important that's an important thing. It's like, uh, you know, one time I think the greatest compliment my wife ever got was when a teacher walked up to her and said, the thing that I like most about your children is that when I say no to them, it's, it, they don't act like they've never heard the word. You oh, know, that's, you know? That's pretty amazing. Yep. Yeah. Cause, cause you know, so many, so many. I had a friend. Mm. 
is great. He's he's a top lawyer in Washington, and um, he used to be the head lawyer for one of the major communications companies in in America, and uh, he was a soccer coach. And one day, a mor- one morning, some woman called him up and said, uh, "Look, I've got something to do this morning. Can you come pick up my kid?" and take him to the game. He's trying to get ready for the game and, you know, and to get all the kids. And she wants him to drive from the soccer field over mm-hmm. to her house, pick up the kid and bring him to the soccer mm-hmm. And And Walter's like, I'm trying to coach the game. No, I, I actually, I actually can't do that. And I remember one time when my brother was here Unreal. from, from uh, rural Ohio and my daughter, I took him to see my daughter play soccer, and all the moms were on the side brushing her hair and giving them stuff. And the game wasn't starting, and it had been delayed. Half the team was late. He looked at me and he said, "Oh my God, you would you would never find this in Ohio. Half the really? people never, yeah, half the people would never show up late. Half the, mm-hmm. you know, they would all be there on time. They'd all be ready to play. Yeah." Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, speaks to values, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And so, as my gratitude, as our resident scientist, I and that's not only because of your science background, it's because I, I had to cry to get a C in biology 101. <laughs> uh, uh, and, 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 but, um, I just got both my shots yesterday. I got my booster shot on Friday. I got my booster shot and I got my old geezer uh, flu shot. And mm-hmm. uh, you're brave doing both I, I was at the same time. Yesterday. I you're got what, Mike? I'm sorry. Sick as a dog. I was so sick when I oh. got up. And it's like I felt like I had the flu, you know, yeah. no upper respiratory stuff, no, right. you know, but. I just, you know how you feel when you have the flu, like somebody's just whacking you, run oh, over yeah. the truck mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt. And, 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 uh, but today I'm fine. Uh, so now I wake up and I get to watch that we have a brand new variant. Isn't that this amazing? Thing. Is this, what is this about, Marilia? Does this go on and on? Do these, do these things have a, uh, uh, an infinite, capacity to change oh my gosh that's the thing about viruses and that's when that's when i decided in in graduate school to study virology because they are fascinating i can't call them a creature because they're not living but let's just call them a creature they're fascinating creatures they're they can only live in something whether it's a human being or an animal or a plant um because there are plant viruses um Excuse me, but they the whole um, modus operandi of viruses is to just constantly mutate. They're just basically, as everybody now knows, a DNA or RNA machine, and they replicate themselves inside other cells, like like I said, a human animal or plants, and that's what they do. And viruses, when they one go one infects a cell, and I think about if I recall my virology correctly. Around ten thousand pop out of a cell. Wow! In in genetics, the more you replicate, the more chances of mutation. And the the more viruses there are, the more replication, the more mutation. They are the world's evolutionary machine, the biggest evolutionary machine you will ever find. So it is very easy for them, and to. To, to evolve into something. And, and the, I've always called them science fiction um, because it, it's hard to imagine that a thing like that, which has no cellular machinery and, and nor much less a brain, can, for lack of a better word, will itself to mutate into something that is beneficial to it, which means allows it to infiltrate cells easier than before allows it to spread easier than before it's just it's freaky it's 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 the phenomenon of viruses and this one's pretty monstrous um it's amazing as you can see we still have the influenza virus that's not right. eradicated um 
And, you know, you you yourself got the shot yesterday. I got my shot, too, but not at the same time as my booster. I wasn't that brave. Um, but um, they they just keep going on and on. They will outlive us like cockroaches. And well, and, and and this this could go on just forever. And what do we do about is. that? Do, well, do, well, we have to constantly get vaccinated. Uh, yes, I think so. I mean, I'm not Dr. Fauci, of course, and, and I'm not a virologist anymore, but um, definitely vaccination is important. Um, you know, the flu vaccine um, or the flu, I should say, the flu virus, the influenza um, virus mutates. And of course, I never used to take the flu um, shot before I reached a certain age because of that very thing. By the time you get it, by the time the flu shot is made, it the flu virus itself will have mutated. I do now at the suggestion of my doctor because you don't want to be wondering if you have COVID or the flu. Right. So it, right? Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I think so. The more we vaccinate, the, the better it is because it prevents viruses from replicating. And the more unvaccinated people, the easier it is for vi viruses to replicate and to infect other people and, and have a whole new cell with which to spawn, you know, 10,000 more viruses. Um, it's it's a real it's a scary thing. Viruses are nothing to mess with. They really aren't. And, and I, you know, I'm not a virologist again, but I can't. But I can say that I would not be surprised if this is with us for a long time. So it, do they become a weapon at some point? A what? A weapon? Do do we say do we say in uh you know in the third world uh where we're they're struggling to 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 break out uh do we say it's easier it's easier to develop a virus than it is to uh establish an army? Uh do we you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, do, do, yeah, do, do, do they become do, do, and you know, the governments are working on it. You, you, you know that, you know, right, that, right. that, you know, that if they're not working on it as a weapon, they're working on it to figure out what a defense uh, uh, for that yeah. is. And yeah. And uh, I mean, we shot a rocket off this week to go hit a meteor. Right. right. With the idea well, we can't figure this out. <laughs> well, and the best part is, can't you wait for the headline when they hit the meteor and the headline says meteor splits and now is headed for Los Angeles? <laughs> you know, they, <laughs> they knock it off course, but they not, you know, now now it's headed for Patterson, New Jersey. You know, uh, uh, God only hopes that's not the case. But. But, you know, right, we're always worried about, you know, defending ourselves. So if we're not, if we're not de developing for weaponry, we're certainly working on it to to defend ourselves. And, yeah, it's just it's just crazy. The earliest example of that, but it was an unwittingly done. It wasn't a, um, a premeditated use as a weapon was when the conquistadors brought all sorts of viral diseases like smallpox to to these poor native um populations native right. american indians both south right. and north um and i recently read that um they found and i think or it was revealed or unearthed or something a cache of smallpox viruses which was supposed to have been eradicated right which means nobody's supposed right. to have any but there was one found, and if I'm not mistaken, and don't quote me, I believe it was in Russia. So there you have it. Well, you know that, um, yeah, there's certainly a famous example of, of you know, given blankets to the Indians that were infected with mm. with with the with the virus, but but also, uh, you know, the, I don't, I I think there's almost no. Pure Hawaiians. You lived in Hawaii, isn't it true that uh, the missionaries brought brought measles with them and, yeah. and wiped out most yeah. of the population of, of Hawaii because they had yeah. no immunity? So That's exactly right, and they'd never yeah. been exposed to it. You know, when yeah. you live in isolated population like that, um, same with America.
Yeah, well, you know, all I could think of in, on, on Thanksgiving was uh, the poor Indian that, that opened the door and said, yeah, come on in. We'll, we'll have dinner together. It'll be good. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, big mistake. Uh, big they should, mistake. Yeah, they should have uh, they should have sunk those boats. But, uh, but anyway, you know, speaking of Indians, um, yeah. there was a really uh, nice sort of um, relating to giving thanks and, and to feeling grateful and gratitude or not and gratitude, feeling gratitude or being grateful. Um and that is this spontaneous generosity um, by the Choctaw Nation. People who had lost their land in the 1800s because the federal government came in working on behalf of white settlers, settlers who wanted to grow cotton on the, the Indians' lands. Um, they came in, they forced them to leave their homelands, I'm sure, as I'm sure you know, the great um, Trail of Tears. Right. Um, and these people had nothing, you know, um, and suffered. Um, but during the, the Irish potato famine, these Indians heard about the Irish suffering from the famine, and they sent $174 to Ireland. Wow. And the, the, those are the Choctaws, and the Cherokees also gave. And, you know, speaking of gratitude and being thankful, the Irish never forgot this. And um, even they in, in the 90s, they put up a clock and, and some memorials. Uh, the clock was in Dublin and memorials in Cork and the, elsewhere. And the, the story was retold. Um, but even as recently as during COVID, I don't know if you've heard this before, but the Navajo and the Hopi nations um, were suffering and particularly suffering because of COVID. And suddenly thousands of donations began pouring in. And guess where they came from? Ireland. Yep, it was a thank you from the Irish for what they had done for them during that's the great. Irish famine of 1846. That's, that's gratitude, and yeah, that's what this country should be more like. Again, go back to. Yeah, Isn't absolutely. Yeah, it's lovely. And, you know, uh, I, I don't know if I've told you, but I've worked, uh, my sister was in, in part an Indian lawyer, and I've worked on Indian uh, Reservation. I remember, and, with Congressman Mike Sinar. Yeah, Signer, right. Yeah, he was a great senator, a uh, great uh, member from Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great congressman from Oklahoma, and and uh, the Choctaw, the Choctaw happened to be an Oklahoma tribe, and there's somebody I've worked mm -hmm. with. But you know, my sister always had great admiration for the Indians, and uh, I, mm -hmm. you know, I really didn't have any sense of that until I started working with them. And the thing that that has always impressed me about them is that no matter how hard their life has been, and believe me, their lives have been so uh, hard and they're yeah. still so hard. You know, yes. they're still, Absolutely uh, right. uh, you know, some of these res reservations are just dumps and um, uh, they have terrible drug problems and they have yeah, and alcoholism. Alcoholism. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, we, I know a guy who formed a vigilante group that stopped cars coming onto the Indian reservation and they, and they, they, they were bringing out, you know, there were just cars that would come on cause there was no alcohol in the reservation and they would bring uh, cases of liquor onto the reservation. And these guys mm -hmm. formed a group to stop them and get rid of them. And I've done training seminars at, at uh, Indian casinos and they're great cause some of them are great casinos. And my favorite one, uh, in uh, Minneapolis, which is one of the most successful ones, you can smoke like a chimney. You can do all sorts of other things, but there's no alcohol. And if you bring a bag in that's not checked, they check it. There's security people to check to make sure you're not bringing any alcohol onto the premises. Mm. So they're they're but uh, but you know as hard and as tough as their life has been. Uh, they always have a sense that the future is going to be better. They always have faith. You know, they, they, they never lose their faith. Yes, it's absolutely amazing. And that's one thing I worry about in America. We lost our... Yeah, yeah. I think it's because, the, uh, you know, as an armchair psychologist here, it seems, or social psychologist, I should say, it, it would seem to me because they are a tribe. 
Because there is togetherness, and well, their fabric go. is much more taut. It, it is not frayed like the fabric of our society. There is not togetherness. You know, there is social distancing isn't just with COVID, if you will. Well, then, I mean, I think you just hit the nail on the head. And let's make that one of our priorities is mm. to to figure out what our identity in America is. Have we lost our identity here of who we are and our, our connectedness as Americans, has has individuality. You know, this is what Karl Marx said, you know, that, that you're not going to make it as a democracy and, and capitalism because everybody following their own self-interest is going to destroy right. the the public interest, you know. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, and so maybe we got to search for our identity. And I want to say to our listeners on We Act Radio, uh, Marilli and I are brand new on We Act we're really looking forward to uh, our show will be on three times a week. Please check the schedule. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that, that, that what this show is going to attempt to do is to answer some of these questions, not, not by telling you what to do or, or giving you a point, but by bringing people on that you don't normally get to hear on on this type of radio on internet radio so that they can explain to you how they feel and that you can take away from that whatever you take away from it you know that the workings behind things how things truly work what what is behind humanity what is behind politics what is behind a virus if you will um, but yeah, you're absolutely right, Mike. Yeah, it would be a good. great thing if we we're able to do that, achieve what we want to achieve. Yeah, and you know what? I think the more we talk and the more we listen, the better we get. So I'm going to leave the show with that tonight. Amen. Next next week, we expect to have a another wonderful, interesting, amazing guest for you, who we don't know who it is yet, but uh, <laughs> but. But we're working on some really interesting people, and we hope that you, you continue to listen and and you know feel free to to. to unfortunately, on on We Act, we're not going to be live. We're live on BBS, but call in with your questions or write us. You can Skype us, or you can reach out through through We Act, and we'll address uh, issues that you care about. And and so tonight, I leave you with the song every uh every week and tonight this is a group called playing for change uh which includes professional you know people like sarah barillas and also amateurs from every country including brazil uh all over the world all the countries in the world and they're playing a song by uh what I consider one of the greatest artists to ever come out of Washington, D.C., Marvin Gaye. So here's, oh, yeah, yeah. So here's what's going on because that's what Marillion and I are going to attempt to do. We're going to try to deal with the question of what's going on. So we'll see you next week. Thanks, Marillia. Thank you, Mike. Have a good evening. Okay. See you guys. You bet. Bye bye.